All right, so we're talking about transferring your biblical manhood, and it's interesting because, uh, as I said in my email to you last night, uh, one of the chapters in my book, it's chapter six, I talk about finding the right successor in the book that I wrote about succession planning, and in that I talk about finding your Joshua, and because I really believe that uh, one of the key things that happens in most people's lives is they have the opportunity to pass a legacy. The only problem is that most people don't. The truth of the matter is that most people never really do much with the gift that, that, that God gave them. Um, and they miss one of the greatest opportunities in life. And that is to influence the next generation, and frankly, to influence multiple generations. Uh, and, and I've always been impressed by a verse in 2 Timothy, which I, which I want to share this morning. Because here's Paul, he's right, he basically is in jail, he's writing this final letter to Timothy. This is kind of like, hey Tim, I want you to know, you're now the, you know, you're the man. You know, you're, you're the guy, okay? You are now in charge. And I think, uh, you know, it's, it's, really, it's really a sacred trust that Paul was, was giving to Timothy. And that was that I want you to carry this on, but I want you to take it one step further. I want you to make sure that not only you carry it on, but you tar- <clears throat> that you teach others to carry it on. And so in 2 Timothy, it says, You therefore, my son, this is in chapter 2, verse 1. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. These entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Uh, You know, it's, it's, it's fascinating because when we think about passing on or transferring what it is that we have, uh, I believe that, uh, that it is imperative that all of us have a Paul in our lives and all of us have somebody under us that we are ultimately passing this legacy on to. And I think one of the great tragedies that I see in ministry is how many PKs, preacher's kids, are screwed up. I mean, screwed up. It is amazing to me. Uh, the, the volume of, of women, for example, who are, in, uh, who are in the pornographic business that came out of Christian homes, uh, and how many came out of preacher's homes. It's phenomenal. Uh, I saw a documentary once on this that just floored me. I had no idea, literally, I had no idea that so many of these uh, gals that are in the, uh, uh, I'm going to say pornographic business because I don't know what else to call it. I'm sure they have another name for it, but uh, are from um, highly religious homes where their parents uh, were 
very strong believers, many of them uh, were preacher's kids. And I don't know what the percentage is, but what was amazing about this documentary is that it was like one girl after another girl after another girl after another girl would share about, oh, yeah, well, I came from a very strict, you know, Christian background and my I was raised in the Baptist church or this church or that church or whatever and and, you know oh yeah my father's a pastor and yeah he's very upset with the fact that I'm in the business you know or whatever but you know but I'm still it yeah and um, and it's fascinating to me Um, it's also fascinating or tragic uh, to me um, that so many of the children of people that are in ministry, and I'm not just talking about pastors, I'm even talking about people in positions like my own uh, who are just teachers, um, their children just don't have any desire uh, or inclination to, to have anything to do with the Lord. And this is not uncommon. Is this, is, this is something that we see, by the way, throughout Scripture. Um, So in the chapter this week, he brought out this uh, example of um, Esau and Jacob. And uh, yeah, the blessing. And it's it's something that I have spent a huge part of my life trying to get my arms around. And uh, because I, from very, from the first, almost the first time I read it, I just felt like the nominal take on Esau and Jacob was wrong. That uh, most of the world, uh, certainly within Christianity, um, and and within Judaism to a certain degree, um, although I have found a tremendous amount of older writings about this now from the from the Talmud, and when I started studying it, that kind of agree with my position, but. Um, the the position of most people is. Jacob stole his brother's birthright, stole the blessing, was a liar, a cheat, and nothing really was even remotely good about the guy. And, um, and everything about this is Esau is the good guy and Jacob is the bum. Pretty much that's the way it's normally written. Actually, even within the book even within Dr. Evans' take on, on this. Uh, I'm just going to read it to you. Um, he says, uh, Jacob was the younger brother of the twins born to Rebekah and Isaac, and the older brother Esau was the athlete, the hunter, his dad's favorite. Jacob, on the other hand, tilled the ground, cooked, and might have even been considered a mama's boy. And since Rebekah loved Jacob so much, she concocted a plan for him to steal the blessing from his older brother. I totally don't agree with that. I, I, I mean, I could not be, I, I, I could not even begin to tell you how far away from that position I am. I am on the complete other side of that position, okay? And we'll talk about it in a second here as to why. It happened while Esau was out hunting for game he needed to bring back to his father uh, uh, for the ceremonial pa- uh, passing of the blessing. Number one, it was not ceremonial. Another problem I have with the writing here. Uh, it was not ceremonial. Um, when he left, Rebecca instructed Jacob to grab two choice, uh, choice goats so that she could cook them instead. 
Then she told her son to dress in some of his brother's clothes. She also put the skins of goats onto his arms and neck so that her blind, ailing, elderly husband would not be able to easily distinguish him from his brother, who was hairy. Jacob did as his mother said because the blessing was that important. That's probably the only thing that I agree with in the entire uh, uh, outline here. He says, but, uh, but when his dad asked him how he had gotten the game so quickly, he lied and told him that God had provided it. Well, that's not a lie. God had provided it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so it's, it's just interesting. Uh, his dad doubted who it was, so he asked him to come closer so he could feel his hands and his face. Confused, Isaac stated, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And then he asked, are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. So... It's, it's fascinating to me uh, because we miss the problem here. Mm-hmm. The problem is Isaac. The problem is Isaac. Now, I want you to think about this. Abram is the guy that God calls out. Calls him from a, from a place where, and by the way, to the best of my understanding of Scripture, nobody on the face of the planet, believed God at that time. We just, in in Genesis chapter 11, we have this story of of the Tower of Babel and how everybody's climbing up this big, trying to build this thing so they could be at the top of the world so that they could effectively be God. There was nobody at that time, best we can tell, that had a relationship with God. All of Noah's kids and all of his descendants had gone their way. They had all given up on this whole concept of a walk with God. Suddenly, God appears to Abram, tells him he he wants to take him to a land that he's going to show him. He does that. Abram agrees. He he goes along with the the Lord, and uh, he goes out. But he's childless. And now he's in his 90s, and he's got this whole concept of, well, what am I going to do? You know, I mean, I've got this incredible inheritance of stuff that God has given me. And more importantly, though, I've got a relationship with God that I want to pass on to somebody. How do I do this? So God comes to him and he says, look, I, you know, look at the skies. I'm going to show you everything. You know, you're going to have people like, well, you know, they didn't understand it. He didn't get it. He didn't understand this miraculous birth thing. He didn't understand that, that God was going to do something incredible and open the womb of his own wife. So he goes and he, and he, he lays with his uh, wife's handmaid and uh, creates uh, uh, a son. And that son is, is called uh, Ishmael. And, um, and, and he thinks that's the blessing. God says, no, 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 it's not Ishmael. It, it, that's, you know. Look, I'm going to take care of Ishmael because you're an idiot, but I'm going to, you know, that's not, that's not the guy that's going to get the blessing. So, uh, and, and this is really kind of hard for, his, for him because he's like, well, wait a minute, I, the blessing has to go to your firstborn. That was the thought. But God says, no, no, God, the blessing goes to whoever, uh, you know, I choose, not, not someone else's choice. And so, uh, so then, long story short, his wife gets pregnant. And uh, he, he gives birth to Isaac. Now he's like 100. And he's trying to raise this little child. And to be honest, Abram doesn't do a very good job. Well, 100, who could? 
Yeah, I, he really does. Well, what's really funny is yeah. you keep reading, he has like about 20 other kids. Oh, yeah, uh, well, maybe not many. Uh, at least 12, right, David? I mean, at least another 12 kids uh, minimum. So it's just, you know, the guy is, the guy is prolific in his old age, okay? Uh, so the one commandment he understood was be fruitful and multiply. <clears throat> so he then, he has this son, Isaac, and, you know, the whole relationship with Isaac is kind of interesting because when he goes up into Mount Moriah, when Isaac's probably around 20, um, Isaac asks the question, you know, hey, guy, you see the wood, I, you know, I see all this other kind of stuff, but where's the goat? Where's the goat? Yeah, where's the, where's the ram? And Genesis 22.8 says, um, God will provide himself the lamb. So that's the message to him. God will provide himself the lamb. So anyhow, he sees this miraculous thing, gonna, almost going to kill him and, and uh, so forth. And his son sees this miracle, and the miracle is, is that there's a ram in the thicket, and God takes that, and that's what they actually sacrifice and so forth. But somewhere between age 20 and age 60, because it tells us that at, he was 60 years old when he gave birth to his twins, Jacob and uh, Esau. And so somewhere in those 40-year period, this guy basically kind of lost his way. And what's interesting about Isaac is that you don't read hardly anything about Isaac from the time that he's sacrificing or being, you know, being sacrificed on the altar to the time that he saw Jacob were born. There's just really nothing to talk about because he's got nothing going on. He's got very little relationship with God. In fact, it tells us that he, he loved all the wrong things. He loved the world. He loved the kid he, that was of the world. Uh, the Bible tells us that Esau was of the field. Jesus tells us the field is the world. Um, everything, you know, also in, in Hebrews, it tells us that, um, this is a fascinating word, by the way. Uh, in the book of Hebrews, it tells us that, that be not like Esau, who was, and the word in Greek is bababas, and bababas means to be void of God. Some people say, you know, use the word profane. Um, for that word, you know, uh, the New American Standard uh, uses a different word. I forget what it, what it uses, but, um, but the fact is, is that, well, I've got it right here. Um, they, they use the word um, godless person. But the word actually, bababas, means to be void of God. comes from two words, uh, bibos, which means to be without or void, and uh, babas, which means father. So, so we have to be void of God, to be void of the father. And that's what they, you know, that's a pretty amazing, could you imagine using that word, a wor or a word like that, to describe somebody? I mean, that's an incredible thought. So, we see in the Old Testament this, this picture, the book of Genesis, we see this picture of Esau and Jacob uh, being raised. And it says about Esau that he was a man of the field, cunning hunter. By the word cunning, same word that was used for the devil in, Ge in Genesis chapter 3, where, where we see the word clever. You know, it says that the serpent was clever. Uh, that's the exact same word, by the way, just one place calls it clever, one place it calls it cunning. Same word, though, okay? Uh, by the way, whenever that word is used in the Old Testament, uh, I think it's used about 20 times, uh, it's never good. 
Never. Good. Okay? So, so this whole idea of being clever is not a, something that the Old Testament, at least, uh, considers a good thing. Okay? Mm-hmm. It's not. Uh, it's, you know, it's the whole idea is that you're trying to trick. So, so isn't it interesting how the teaching of this section has everybody saying that the person who is the trickster, the liar, is the person that the Bible calls Tom, T-A-M, in Hebrew. Tom. What does the word Tom mean? Well, Tom means pious. That's what it means. It means pious. So, so it says about Jacob that he was a pious person. And it says about his brother that he was a, 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 a clever person or, or a trickster or whatever. The same word that's used about Satan. So, so we have this description. Now, you would think that with all that describing going on and so forth, that the commentators would all basically say, geez, there must be a reason other than the guy who's considered pious is lying and the guy who's considered the liar is telling the truth. You would think that that would be the way it would go, but that's not how it's gone down. Historically, this particular section of scripture has always condemned Jacob and has always elevated Esau. Yet the Bible clearly does the complete opposite of that. There is not one word and not one word in the Old Testament or the New Testament about Esau that is good. Not one word. Um, it tells us in, uh, in the prophets that, uh, that, uh, that Edom is going to be destroyed, uh, that Esau and his, and his legacy is going to be destroyed, that, that, that it's going to be completely wiped out. It tells us in the prophecy when he was born, when the two twins were born, that the younger, excuse me, that the, uh, uh, that the older would serve the younger, um, it tells us everything about it. Um, you know, there were two nations that were created from these two peoples. One was called Edom and the other was called Israel. Edom has always been uh, hedonistic, has always been an idolatry. They are completely off the face of the earth today. Uh, they, they were destroyed. Um, you know, they built, they built their houses in mountains. Uh, if you remember uh, the, the, the ancient city uh, Pietra? Or, or uh, was uh, that was the that was the capital of Edom, um, and uh, so we have this incredible picture um, of Edom serving uh, themselves and Israel serving God. And uh, it, when you read Obadiah, for example, I believe it's Obadiah. Um, I think it's Obadiah chapter six to be exact. Uh, there's a prophecy in in Obadiah where he basically prophesies against Esau. And against Edom, saying that they'll be destroyed. And of course, that came to pass. Um, the Bible also tells us that Esau was this, this as I said, cunning or crafty or uh, a hunter. Um, and that's another interesting word, uh, hunter. Uh, in, the, in the Hebrew, the idea of, of a hunter was a person that, that was worldly. That was the whole point. It was just, that was, that was a person of the world. Um, and, uh, and we see that, that as well. It says a man of the field. And of course, as I said, uh, Matthew 13, 38 says that field is the world. So, so we, we see this picture of Esau as this worldly person and everything about him is a liar. But here's what's really amazing. One day, we read about this in Genesis 25, one day Esau comes in from a hunt. Now, what I find interesting about this is he's coming in from a hunt. 
want you to get the context of what's going on here. Chances are very high, although it doesn't tell us, but chances are very high if he's coming in from a hunt and he was a cunning hunter, a clever hunter, that he had, in fact, gotten some game. Okay? You guys hunted, right? Um, hunter, actually, that's an incredible name. Hunter the Hunter. <laughs> you, you guys hunted, and, uh, you know, if you actually got some game, what's the first thing you do when, uh, when, you, when you, you know, get a, a deer or, or, or first thing you do? You got it. You got it, right? You prepare it. You get it, you get it. I mean, you, you, you field dress it is what we actually call it, typically. So, so the first thing you do is field dress the animal. And you get it basically to, to where you can, you can you cut it up in, in small enough pieces to where you can actually take it out because usually, usually that's the problem. You know, catch a 100-pound deer, try to carry a 100-pound deer. It's a very interesting experience. Um, and so you cut it up. You, you basically get it prepared and so forth. So... The, the belief has got to be that, there, that he was bringing some kind of food back into this thing, but he, that's not what he cared about. All he cared about was he walked in and his pious brother had sat there and had made something, and the Bible says that he had made something red. That's all it tells us. It, something red. We, we don't even know what that is. Was it red meat? Uh, was it uh, porridge? What, I don't know. Who knows? Okay? But it just says he made something red, and uh, so he does that, and, he's, and it comes up, and I'm, and I'm, I'm reading here in uh, Genesis 26 now, uh, and it says, uh, verse 26, 26, 26, it's, uh, oh, I'm sorry, 26, no, I'm oh, sorry, wrong place. No, that's the that's the uh, Isaac covenant with Abimelech. I, I forgot to write the verse down. I just I, I thought I had it marked here. Um, no, I'm sorry. It's it's I'm, no, it's it's it's. Uh, it's in twenty five. Yeah. Okay. Right. Right. Exactly. Where is that? Yeah. Twenty five. 31. Yeah, here we go. Okay, yeah, okay. Starting in verse 28, actually. Uh, I marked it. I just can't, can't, can't remember what I wrote. Okay, so it says, And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob, and Jacob sawed pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was, and this is great. In the, in the, and I'm reading from the King James because I love the words that they use in the King James. That's why I'm doing it this way, okay? So it says, and uh, he was faint. He was faint, okay? Uh, so I looked it up. I looked that word up in, in Hebrew. Uh, guess what it means? Faint. It means faint. Exactly, okay? <laughs> yeah. It means that he was about to faint. You know, in other words, he was just exhausted, that was the whole, the whole point there, okay? So he came in from the field, and he was exhausted. He was faint. And it says, uh, and Esau said to Jacob. Now, this is what's interesting to me, is Jacob did not start this conversation. Esau starts the conversation. So it's, Jacob's just sitting there, minding his own business. And his 
big brother, quote unquote, comes in and a crafty hunter who's been out hunting and now, you know, doesn't want to take it and, and actually cook the food that he caught, which he could have easily have done. He comes to his little brother who, by the way, he's already made fun of by saying that, you know, he just takes care of pottage. I think that's hysterical. And says, uh, he says, Esau says to Jacob, feed me. Feed me. Now, I don't know. Let's just sort of, I walk in to a room and I come over to Chuck and I go, Chuck, feed me. How are you going to take that? Well, if you were a brother, I, I probably wouldn't take it very well. You'd probably pop me. Okay, it's probably what would happen. But, you know, Jacob's a little bit more civil than I would be. He says, feed me. And then he says, this is really funny. Feed me, I pray. I pray. That's an interesting word. Guy has never prayed in his entire life, you know, but now, okay, feed me, I pray. Like, you know, in other words, he's making fun of his brother, who's the religious one here. That's what he's doing. So feed me, I pray, that uh, uh, with that same red. Now, in, in many Bibles, it, you'll see uh, pottage will be added or stew or, uh, you know, some kind of, you know, word like that and so forth. But it doesn't say that in Hebrew. It just says, feed me the red, whatever the red is. I don't know what red is. I, you know, I don't know. I have no idea. Okay. He says, feed me that same red for I am faint. Same word. Therefore was his name called Edom. Now that's interesting. Okay. So you got to look up Edom, right? Right. What, is, what does Edom mean? Red. Red. Exactly. Okay. So this was such an important, this, everybody had to have known about this, right? I mean, this event could not have been like a secret event. They named the nation after this event. I want you to think about that for a second. They named the nation after this event. So what does Edom mean? It means red. It means the thing he wanted. It was, you know, it's, it's the, the pillage. You know, that, that's the whole idea. And Edom was known as a nation of pillagers. That's what they were known as. Well, Dave was just there, and what do you see when you're there at Petra? What do you see? Rock. Lots of red rock. What color is it? Red it's all red. That's <laughs> exactly right. It's all red rock. So, so let's keep on going. So Jacob says, okay, if you want to play this game, I can play this game. Okay? He says, you want this? You want the red? No problem. I'll trade you. I'll give you all the red you want, but you got to sell me your birthright. Now, this is an interesting situation because obviously, because they, they, they called the nation the very word that was used here, a red, about this event, this had to have been something that everybody knew about. Right? I mean, this had to be something that was not, this was not like, you know, like a secret. Does everybody see where I'm coming from? Yeah, this is, this is not a secret. By the way, you can go and you can pull out all the, 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 the guys that, that comment on this and they like all miss this. It's like not even discussed. Like, how could you miss that? Okay, Edom means red. 
Okay, all right, let's keep on going. He says, Jacob says, sell me this day your birthright. Now, most of the commentators at this point say, see, there's the clever one. There's that nasty little Jacob, man, out there trying to swindle his brother. He's taking advantage of his brother while he's hungry to get his birthright. That's not the truth at all. Why? Because the Bible is going to tell us here in a minute that Esau despised his birthright. He didn't want anything to do with his birthright. Because his birthright brought with it certain responsibility that he didn't want to have anything to do with. So look at what he says. He says, and Jacob says, sell me your birthright. Sell, uh, sell me this day your birthright. Esau says, behold, I'm at the point of death. And what profit shall this birthright do to me? So who does Esau care about? Esau. Esau. Exactly. <laughs> Jacob says, swear to me this day. And he swore unto him. And he said, or, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. For what? For some measly, you know, something that he could have cooked up on his own because he certainly wasn't without capability of doing that. And then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. And thus Esau despised, Gesundheit is right, uh, despised his birthright. Okay, why is this a big deal? Because the birthright is what we pass on. That's what he was passing on. What was the birthright? Who was, what, what was, what, why did they call it a birthright? What was the birth that they were talking about? What's the, what's the right, the birthright all about? Anybody? Future legacy. What legacy? In this particular context, this is Abraham, this is Isaac. Now it's going to be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. From Jacob, it's going, that birthright is going to pass to one of his 12 children. Which of the, which of the 12 children got his birthright? Judah. And by the way, was Judah the firstborn? Not even close. He was third. Why Judah? Why Judah? Who came from Judah? Who was, who was in that line? Well, ultimately, but who? David. And then, of course, down from David, ultimately to Jesus. What's the point of the birthright? The birthright is the lineage of the Messiah. That's the point. The birthright is the lineage of the Messiah. God did not want Esau in the lineage of the Messiah. It's pretty clear. He, he didn't want it when he was born. He said that the, uh, the, the, uh, the older will serve uh, under, you know, will, be, will, be ser- will, will have to serve the, the, uh, the, the, the younger uh, he didn't want it uh, at any time whatsoever because Esau, in fact, despised his birthright. And clearly everybody had to know about this because they wouldn't have called the nation Edom, which is all about this event, if nobody knew about it except Jacob and Esau. Oh, everybody knew about it. I guarantee you that Isaac knew about it as well. Isaac knew that his son had sold his birthright 
to his, to his brother for nothing more than just a pottage. But his father didn't care. Who cared? Besides God. His mother. Why did his mother care? No, because she cared about the legacy of the Messiah. That's why she cared. She cared about the legacy. Whenever you read about Rebecca, it's amazing. Uh, Rebecca was just this incredible human being, really. Uh, how she was called out, how she was picked, uh, how she became the mother of Jacob, and so forth and so on. <clears throat> the fact of the matter is that none of these people and when I say none of these people, I would include all of us as well, but no one who has ever walked on this earth has ever been a perfect person, has ever, has ever gone through uh, their life without you know, errors and consequences for those errors and so forth and so on. At the end of the day, your works are not what gets you a relationship with God. That's always been the way it's been. It's always been that way. It's not something New Testament, which is what most people miss. We talk about this all the time. The entire Old Testament is built around grace. It's not built around the law. It never has been. The law was given so that people could realize they needed grace. That's why, that's why he gave us the law. Okay? Because we realized we couldn't keep it. Read Romans chapter 3. So the point of the fact, the point of this whole entire story is simply this. Isaac was never really used of God. Which is the tragedy of of the of 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 Abraham really the story of Abraham is that he never truly passed on the legacy to his son at the level that he needed to uh to do it and i believe that the reason for that is because uh, uh, he really loved the world and the bible tells us clearly love not the world neither the things that are in the world for all that is in the world is is not of the Father, but as, you know, of, of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof, but he that does the will of God abides forever. So the point of the matter is, is that that's what Isaac fell in love with. He fell in love with the world. And that was a problem, and his mother recognized it. Um, and the truth is, is that um, Ecclesiastes tells us that we work for worldly things, yet our appetite is never filled. But this too is vanity. You know, Isaac was so accustomed to seeing the things of God and seeing the miraculous work of God in his early life that I believe he takes God for granted. I think he takes the whole relationship with God for granted. And as he gets older, he can't discern the difference between Esau and Jacob anymore. I hear the voice of Jacob but I feel the hairiness of, or I feel the arms of, or however it was worded, uh, of, of Esau. But Rebecca could. You see, Rebecca was different. Rebecca could. She had had an experience with the Lord. She had had an experience uh, with, um, with, 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 with God in such a way that she saw the difference. She saw that Jacob was of God, and she saw that Esau only loved the things that were for Esau. Esau loved Esau. And that's all Esau ever loved. Esau never loved his, his wives, plural. Esau never loved his children, plural. 
There is no relationship whatsoever talked about in the scripture between him and any of those people. And Hebrew says he was bababas, which means he was void of God, uh, void of the Father. And uh, the lesson is being born into a believing home is no assurance of anything. It's no assurance of salvation. It's no assurance that you're going to walk with God and so forth. So here's the point. The point is we have an opportunity to pass on a legacy. Every single one of us in this room, just like Abraham did, just like Isaac did, just like Jacob did. We have the complete legacy. Right oh here. my gosh, that's the right beauty here. of it. Well, they didn't. They didn't. They just had a piece of it. Read, read, yeah, read Hebrews after 11. They, they only had a little piece of it. But we have the whole thing. And the fact is, it is our obligation. I am convinced of this. It is our obligation to raise up others find faithful men who can teach others also and to and to pass on this legacy that we have we must do something beyond ourselves if we really want to pass on our legacy though it it's not easy it's not this simple everybody gets it kind of task it's each one reach one well, I mean, yeah. I mean, each one reach one. That's a great. That's that's a great expression, and so you forth. Just do that. Yeah. You know, if everybody took that responsibility, it'd be a difference. You know. So I wrote this. I said Jacob didn't take Esau's birthright. Esau sold it to him. Was he worried about not being in the line of the Messiah? Speaking of Esau, uh, no. Uh, he, he just wants all that Isaac has in the world. He just wants his stuff. He just wants all of it. And here's what's really interesting. It tells us later on, after Jacob goes off and spends 20 years with Laban and so forth, that when they got back together, J- Jacob just said, you can have it all, man. I don't want any of the stuff. I couldn't care less about the stuff. <clears throat> don't care about the stuff. All I care about is the birthright. So look at what he says. It says, uh, so so the question I ask is, uh, is Esau of the world or of the spirit? Well, clearly. And is Jacob of the world or of the spirit? No, he's of the spirit. God chose Jacob. And then he wrestled with him. And then he fought with him because he wanted him to be changed. He wanted him to be different. He wanted him to be something that... Now, I'm telling you, I don't think he ever really was completely, um, you know, the the person that overcame because he was throughout his life getting hoodwinked. I mean, the guy lived his life in a, you know, in a a one person after another deceiving him. I always think that's kind of funny. Uh, Everybody says he's the deceiver, but he's the guy always getting deceived. Think about it. Okay, Uh, you know, they they take his son, Joseph, they throw him off. What do the sons do? They deceive the gullible father. They lie to him. You know, Uh, they, you know, they come back. They got to get him to go to Egypt. What do they do? They lie to him. I I, I just find it fascinating to me, uh, the whole story, how it's how it's so interesting when you read it in Scripture. And then when you actually read commentary about it. But Isaac didn't understand Jacob's motives. 
And I think that's something that a lot of people really struggle with. You know, one of the things that uh, you'll, you'll find when you, when you spend any time in the legal system is that there's nothing more confusing to an attorney, especially a prosecutor, when they're trying to prosecute somebody and they can't figure out motive. Why do you do it? Why do you do it? I mean, has to be a reason, you know? It's real easy to prove something if you can prove motive. It's really hard to prove something when you can't prove motive. And the motive here was that, that Jacob just wanted to preserve the birthright and he only wanted to do it because his mother was the one who really cared. Can we also talk about one other thing? Yeah. The helper, the presence of the helper was completely different. Than yeah, oh yeah, you mean as far as the Spirit of God? Yeah, yeah, the Spirit of God did not did not rest within them, but he was still around and he was still influ- and he was yeah. still influencing. So Isaac doesn't understand Jacob's motive. He wants the spiritual benefit. He does not want the worldly benefit. By the way, you can read that in Isaiah, excuse me, in uh, Psalm one thirty five four, uh, and of course in Hebrews. Uh, we've already read uh, Hebrews twelve. Uh, Esau, on the other part, only wanted the temporal. He only wanted the temporary things. He only, and really didn't want to have anything to do with God, for it tells us that he despised his birthright. He despised what was, was God. And here's, here's something that, that God just, just really laid on me years ago. It's the ungodly will always hate the godly. The ungodly will always hate the godly. And I believe that's because deep down there is a jealousy there. There is a jealousy there that's revealed in that. The unbeliever always condemns the believer. Luke 23, 6 talks about that. It finds its culmination when the son of Esau, really, uh, Herod, uh, by the way, Herod is an Edenite, just, just in case you were curious. He's an, Edom, he's an Edomite. Uh, he is from that same line. So, it, I think it finds its culmination when King Herod, who is in fact from that same line, uh, is making fun and sitting in judgment over the King Messiah and the son of Jacob. Yet the King Messiah uh, has the victory. Uh, look, as I told you guys before, I think it was last week or the week before or whatever, one of the most incredible moments of my entire life is when Ray Cohen said to me, at least I have one disciple. And he knew that I was going to be able to carry on what he had taught me. That all the things that he had taught me had actually become so much a part of me that I was actually teaching it without even realizing it was his teaching. That's when you know you have a disciple. And, uh, and I believe that w- with all my heart that God laid that on his heart to tell me that. That was his way of passing the blessing to me. And, and I've seen this before, I've seen it happen, and, and I, you know, I, I, I'm looking forward to the day that I'll be able to say that to someone. Really am, looking forward to that day. Because I really believe that's what this is all about. At the end of the day, that's what transferring your biblical manhood is really all about. We're going to see it next week when we get into talking about Joseph, excuse me, Joseph, uh, uh, about Joshua. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna see that because in the next chapter he talks about 
how this whole relationship and how Moses passed on to uh, 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 to Joshua uh, that that lineage. But what's really fascinating to me is that when it's done right, the person that comes after you does better than you do. We see it with Elijah and Elisha. Uh, we see it with Moses and Joshua. We see it with a, with a tremendous amount of folks in Scripture uh, where the person who is the disciple actually becomes greater than the, the original teacher. Um, and, and that, to me, is really one of the, uh, the great pictures of, of the blessing. And so one of the things... No question about it. Yes, well, you you will also do, but but uh, but but Doctor Evans says something in the book here that I that I want to point out, which I and I want to end on this because I think it's just so powerful. He says, "Living in the blessing meant learning to live in divine favor, which then spilled out onto how others both perceived and treated you. It was about doing what God wanted to do in you for you." and through you. That to me is what the blessing is really all about. Um, and uh, we need to uh, understand that our lives are much more than just our occupations. Our lives are much more than, because people say, you know, all the time, you know, well, what, 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 what did he do? You know, what did he do? And what they're always talking about is, well, he's an engineer, or he was a doctor, or he was the car dealer or whatever. Uh, but to Jacob, maybe not even to Jacob as much as just Rebecca, uh, the real person that was important uh, or the real thing that was important was the blessing. The blessing, the birthright. I started out with the thought in my head of has the blessing become diluted? <clears throat> but the blessing stands. I mean, Imperfect. I mean, that doesn't change. Mm. That is like, it never will change. But everything else changes around it. In a way, the world <clears throat> definitely wants to dilute it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, it's, it's, it's fascinating to me because I believe there is a reason that this uh, misinterpretation of the Esau and Jacob story has taken place. And I believe that it's for two reasons. One, uh, Satan has done everything he possibly can to get people to be, you know, falling on the, on the side of those persons that, uh, that walk according to the world. And secondly, I believe it's latent anti-Semitism. I really do. Uh, I believe that within the church in particular, there is such a latent anti-Semitism um, that, um, that we, we don't even realize that we're being anti-Semitic when we're being anti-Semitic. I experienced this just this past weekend uh, at, our, uh, at our Taste of TC3. I was sitting, I was talking to somebody and he made the most incredibly anti-Semitic remark and didn't even realize it was anti-Semitic. What are you saying? I'm not going to tell you. It's too, too awful. <laughs> uh, I, I could tell you privately if you'd like, but, but um, it, it just, um, 
it just was unbelievable to me. And we don't realize, and, and when I pointed it out to him, he was like, oh, no, I didn't mean it that way, which, of course, is always what we say. And by the way, he was truthful when he said that. I didn't mean it that way. He didn't. That's how, that's how, how deep-rooted anti-Semitism, uh, racism, all of these, you know, is so, it's so deeply rooted. We make statements and we don't even realize the statement we made is racist. That's, it's just incredible because we just miss it. And unless you're one of those people that are on the side of that, on the other side of that, uh, I mean, J.R. and I have talked about this. I mean, some of the racism he experienced when he was younger is ridiculous. Ridiculous. I'm sorry. Ridiculous. It's the only word I can think of, right? Right, you people. Use, yeah. Use guys, right? Yeah, you people. I, I mean, Really? But 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 that's where that's what we're all it's where we're at and and, and this is this is one of the see things. That without the spirit. No, you can't. No, you can't. And yeah, yeah. So anyhow, that's what I had to say today. I don't know if you guys enjoyed it or not. If it did anything for you, but whatever. But um, I think that we need to understand that uh, this is a big deal. This idea of transferring our heritage, transferring our legacy. We have been given the greatest gift. I couldn't imagine being a multimillionaire and not wanting to pass my wealth. I, I couldn't imagine that. I mean, you know, if I were a billionaire, which I'm not, but if I were a billionaire... Uh, I would want to make sure that I sat down and thought very carefully about where that wealth was going to go. Well, I am a billionaire. Yeah, I am a billionaire. So every one of us in this room are. And so we need to think about where are we leaving that? Is it just going to die with us? I don't want my heritage to die with me. Um, you know, and, and so when I see my kids, for example, coming to me and saying, you know, hey, dad, you know, we, we were at church the other day and you, know, you cannot believe what, uh, you know, what Pastor Jody talked about. And I was like, really, what are you talking about? And then they just basically go through this soliloquy of what he talked about. And I'm thinking to myself, legacy. They're getting it. You know, I didn't tell them to go to church last Sunday. I didn't tell them to, I didn't, you know, they, they're on their own now. They don't have to go. They can go anywhere. They can do whatever they want. I'm not up there. I can't control what they do in Jacksonville. I'm a long way from Jacksonville. And, uh, but I can tell you that God is not a long way from Jacksonville. And so it's just, it's just a really cool experience that, that I think we need to have is what are we doing with this thing that God has given us? You know, do, have we written a will for our spiritual ownership. And I think that would be really cool uh, to, uh, to, to be able to do. So anyhow, enough said. <laughs>